Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Good evening, EduFolk, and welcome to the Wednesday Late Show. It's midweek. You've got through hump day. I think most of you are ending up on half term this uh, at the end of this week. Um, so you lucky bananas if that is the case. Uh, this evening's show, more importantly than that, well, maybe as important, let's see, uh, is focusing on careers. And I can see actually that the lovely Tom Hopkinsburg is already in situ, as is his guest, who I'm going to pop on now as well. So welcome to you both and uh, have a lovely evening. Good evening. How How is it only Wednesday? Um, it's Wednesday the 18th of October. Um, I don't know about you, Lucy, but I have two more days before half-term. Very much looking forward to our two-week half-term. Um, but it's never a bad time to talk about all things education. So I'm delighted to be back with you on Teachers Talk Radio tonight. I'm going to be joined by two wonderful guests to talk for the next 90 minutes all about careers. Careers does seem to be a bit of, you know, it seems to be the poor relation of all of the other um, wonderful things we do in schools. Um, Not much time always given to it for teachers to think about in their classrooms. Um, It's often one of the last things on the to-do list. And I think a lot of teachers, myself included, worry sometimes that we end up sort of bolting on um, careers to our um, curriculums and to our provision in schools. And I, I was on the weekly review a couple of weeks ago as a panellist one, for once in a while. And I remember talking about careers and I remember going, well, hang on a second. Most teachers don't understand what careers is. Some people think that careers is about you know, finding a job. Um, Some people think that careers is about telling people what they can and can't do. And I've chosen two guests to join us tonight who are going to help 
to hopefully dispel some of the myths, um, delve into some of the publications and some of the research, and hopefully shine a light on careers tonight. And that's what we're hoping to do tonight. So my first guest um, tonight is Janet College, um, and she's here now. And our second guest tonight is Chris Webb, and he's also here now. Janet and Chris, I know that you've got your own segments uh, with me tonight, but if you do want to sort of pop add anything to in each other's segments you're more than welcome to um, you should just be able to raise your hand um, as one of the many different um, emojis as Lucy is demonstrating here as well as the crying face the shock face the sad face etc the hands up etc so um, that will help me recognize how to get you in now if you are listening tonight um, one of the other things you can do well you can do two things first of all on the bottom right hand side of your screen there is a speech bubble and you can use that to tweet along share your views share your thoughts on what janet and chris have to say and on the left hand side um, there is a button which says a request to speak um, and so for those of you who are particularly brave why not press that button on the bottom left hand side and request to speak just as janet and chris as well um we've got plenty of messages for you throughout the next 90 minutes but without further ado um janet very good evening welcome to teachers talk radio good evening how are you today you're sounding very bright and bubbly is that half term on the horizon it's nearly half term janet <laughs> nearly half term but the good news is we can hear you uh, loud and clear um so for those of you who don't know you janet just Introduce yourselves to the live listeners and also to those who are listening on demand as a podcast. All right. Well, um, I am an ex-teacher. I took early retirement about 10 years ago. Um, Specialist subject was uh, business studies and IT. And I got that tap on the shoulder back in the 1990s that said, there's a point for careers. Do you want it? And at the time, I wanted it, but I knew absolutely nothing about it. So I was very, very lucky in that I was sent off to Cambridge University to do a postgraduate uh, qualification in careers education. And that makes me one of about 30 people in the entire UK that has got that qualification, I think. Um, But it also gave me the bug. I realised, coming from a working class background that careers education is so vital for social mobility that we can't do without it so I got more and more involved and um, I had to take early retirement because unfortunately I'm my hearing isn't as great as it used to be and if you can't hear what's going on in the classroom you're absolutely stuffed as far as classroom control is concerned So I decided to take early retirement and set up as a consultant. And in the last 10 years, I've worked with most of the map chains. I've worked with the careers and enterprise company. I've worked with all sorts of careers, hubs, uh, companies. I've written resources. And I end up talking to people like you and getting on my soapbox and telling everyone about how important careers is. Yeah, I was going to ask you about um, how common that postgraduate qualification was in careers education, but you did answer my question there. (laughs) Um, Now, the reason why you're here, Janet, is because Ofsted has done a review of careers provision in schools. And 
we're going to have a look at what they recommend. We're going to look at what Ofsted says um, schools are currently doing well. We're going to have a look at see what Ofsted says um, where the provision is lacking um, and think about what they are recommending that schools do. Um, so I was just wondering if you start, Joan, because you're more... Um, attuned to the world of you well you're far more attuned to the career world of careers than i am um just a little bit of background about ofsted's independent review and sort of how it's gone down in career circles but, right okay uh, if i if you'll excuse me giving you a little history lesson here well, I, i'm a history <laughs> exactly. teacher far away <laughs> um careers used to be done to schools by something called the career service up until 2012, um, it was done by either the career service or they basically called it connections. And someone would come into the school, they would do activities, they'd do careers interviews, and that was it. Then back in 2012, uh, a dreaded um, politician called Gove came along and said, right, we don't need connections anymore. We're going to do away with it. We don't need to spend all that money. Here you are, schools. You can do careers. What do you mean you want money to do it and training? You don't know what you're doing. You're not getting anything. So the last 10, 12 years have been very much schools scrabbling to get their head around what careers is. And that has corresponded with the fourth estate coming in and the the um, dawn of all these new jobs and, and technology that is changing the working world so much. So given all of that, you've just basically dumped it all on the floor in the middle of the sports hall and said, sort it out. So that is the background to why careers in schools is so confused at the moment. Having said that, the government is concerned that we have got more children that are neat, not in education, employment or training. We have got mm -hmm. um, so many problems with children dropping out of school, not attaining, not feeling that they have a role in the world. So a few years ago, they put out something called a career strategy. And that put in place um, so, some basic tenets that we need to work to. And they put together a company called the, the Careers and Enterprise Company that are supposed to help schools. OK, now Ofsted has come in and done a, a second thematic review. The first one was done in 2013. And this one has just mm -hmm. come out a few weeks ago. And there's quite a lot of really important um, details that especially SLT need to get their heads around. Quite simply, because the way Ofsted is inspecting schools has changed. We now have the common inspection framework and they've been tweaking that ever since it came in. So careers now is getting more notice from Ofsted. And I have to say, it's very variable depending on the inspectors. 
that you actually have in school. And I've seen it from everything where careers is barely even looked at to a full deep dive. So you can't Mm -hmm. rely on getting an inspector that's not particularly interested. And to be quite, quite frank, careers can impact every single one of the four Ofsted inspection areas. That's mm-hmm. how important it is. Oh, yeah, certainly, because quality of education, you've got, you know, how how strong is the careers education? Um, Chris and I'll be talking about that um, in terms of linking um, curriculum to careers. Um, and, of course, your pers- huge impact on personal mm-hmm. development as well, certainly. Um, and so, yeah, Ofsted sort of waded in here. I suppose the background from sort of a what if we take an even bigger picture, um, is that Ofsted has been doing thematic reviews of all sorts of things. Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago on TTR talking with a bunch of music teachers about the review of music education. As a history teacher, I've always had a lot of fun reading through the history one and going, oh, that's interesting. I wonder how many schools do that? The answer is not many, I don't mm-hmm. think. Um, but yeah, we, we, you mentioned, of course, Ofsted, and again, the variety and particular... Um, wants and needs of particular Ofsted inspectors yes it is a bit of a lottery it depends it all depends on who turns up and you know everybody I speak to but I think you know Ofsted has a very bad rep at the moment um, especially in the last 12 months Uh, everybody I've spoken to including you know I've our school got Ofsted earlier this year it all depends on who walks through the door and it all depends on what sort of person they are Um, so I suppose um, let's I mean, so the government in 2017 used the Gatsby benchmarks as the framework for careers guidance. Um, We have the Baker Clause, which is now beefed up, and we'll talk a bit about that later. Um, Let's delve into this Ofsted review then, I suppose, as ever, with any sort of um, research review. um, We start with a methodology. So 30 schools, 14 further education skills providers at a review of a sample of inspection evidence um, from the schools whose inspection evidence were surveyed. 26 of those were classified as urban schools and just five um, as rural. And there's a key line, I think, here, Janet. We did not observe any teaching or careers guidance. You beat me to that one. (laughs) Right. Back to you. Is that good enough? There is a difference between careers guidance and careers education. Mm-hmm. Okay, they did say they didn't um, actually witness any careers guidance or careers education lessons. Now, I can understand the issue around um, privacy in a guidance session, but why on earth couldn't they have gone into a maths lesson and looked at a maths lesson dealing with a building surveyor, say? There was no reason for them not to have looked at careers teaching. It's a big, big hole. Added to which, they had problems from the look of the data sets. They had problems getting schools to take part. Those schools that did take part did so willingly. And I would say probably had quite a good provision in place or at least a decent provision in place otherwise they wouldn't have let them through the door let's be honest here Mm, so indeed for me it's probably quite skewed 
Yes, well, I mean, I, was, I, was, I remember speaking to somebody a few weeks ago when we were looking at another report into something else and we were saying, well, look, the schools are self-selected. The individuals who are responding to this are self-selected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anybody, you know, I'm, I'm a secondary school teacher. I'm not a university researcher or anything, but a, a self-selected sample is not exactly going to be a unbiased um, sample and you can't draw as many conclusions from yeah. it. Um and it talked it talked about careers guidance versus careers education, um, careers guidance being one of the Gatsby benchmarks rather yeah. than the other seven, I suppose. Um, and I suppose we have a flawed methodology. Um, but taking that into account, what does Ofsted say that schools are currently doing well? Uh, <laughs> right. Okay. And also, do you agree? <laughs> don't think they actually said school all schools are doing everything well i think the overall answer was it's patchy some schools are good at some bits other schools are, are good at other bits um i think one of the key things for me was in the overview where they said quite categorically and i'm I wrote this out because I think it's quite important. Schools need to think strategically about careers and provide provide programmes that are authentic, contextualised and personalised. And I think that is where they are finding things falling down. So why? I think the, the issue in many schools... It is, and this isn't meant to to be, I can't think of the word I'm looking for now. It isn't meant to be sort of pejorative. Mm-hmm. But I think teachers are so busy and they have got so much to do that unless they can immediately grasp what is going on and what it's about and the value of it to them they're going to put it to one side they they haven't got time or brain space for anything else and let's face it schools are being everything we're being social workers we're we're being sends coordinators we're, we're doing everything counselors the lot so i can understand that and the problem is that careers needs to be a whole school issue It needs everyone on board with the idea that we are preparing these young people to go out into a world where the vast majority of them will need to work to bring in money. That, you know, we're all, oh, our subject is so precious to us and everyone should should study this subject. But the end result is that that should be giving skills to young people that they can take out and use in the working world. And that is the missing link between education and careers, how the skills transpose into the working world. As as, as you say, there's little to no time in the life of a busy teacher. Mm. And Chris and I also delve into this. So... I mean, 
we only have a certain number of days in the academic year. We only have a certain number yeah. of hours in the school day. Um, teachers are supposedly, although it's obviously not true, limited to 1265 um, by the Burgundy <laughs> book in terms of hours in the working year. Um, double that and you'll get close, I think. Um, I suppose, so I, I, there, there isn't, is, is there at all, like the only solution is to find time. Is there anything else? that can sort of help mitigate this it, if time is not an option what can be done one of the things i do as i said i've set up as a consultant i run my own business working with schools and quite a lot of what i do is training teachers around gatsby benchmark four now gatsby benchmark four for those of you who are not aware of it is basically teaching careers through the main curriculum so if you were teaching art, it might be a, about the colours used in advertising. If you were teaching RE, it would be around ethics. Uh, and there's lots of ways that every subject can showcase how the skills they teach are used in the working world. So it's a tweak to the way we're, we're teaching perhaps using a different resource, a case study set in, in a workplace, for example, instead of just mm. whatever comes in the textbook. The, these are all ways mm. we can link what we teach in our subject areas to the working world and help young people see that. Mm. And I suppose one of the key things as well, thinking about Benchmark 4, is... It's got to be, and I have a lovely phrase which I use for all sorts of things. I have the joys of talking about well-being tomorrow to a different forum, and it's about weaving it in, not bolting it. Yeah, off. oh, totally. And and you know, I, I think quite a lot of the time, from some of the stuff I've seen and been involved with, careers can be just just another thing, just one more thing to do for teachers. So we're going to bolt it on. Oh, and by, so here's a slide at the start of your lesson. Oh, and in this day, we're going to look at this. This might be a good skill if you want to go and do this. And it's something, and perhaps something's better than nothing, but it's been done without a great deal of thought or care yeah. or attention. It's just been done because it has to be done. So what? where do you stand on, I don't know, these, you know, on sort of like, I mean, apprenticeship weeks and careers weeks and schools where you go, okay, so in every lesson you're going to link this to careers, but it's but not as something, but as sort of a way of we're going to mention it this week and then next week we'll just go back to where we were. Right, okay. Where do you stand on that? <laughs> well, coincidentally, I was one of the founding directors of National Careers Week um, and we, as a board, had a, a saying, every week is careers week. National Careers Week was brought about because careers has such poor status within schools and it was trying to raise that status. I really believe that careers has to be embedded. It has to be a whole school ethos, just like numeracy and literacy is treated as everyone's um, role in the same way. In fact, the Ofsted... Um, thematic review said that school leaders careers leaders teachers careers advisors are all important and they all need to work together to make careers better for these young people mm -hmm. um yeah i, I mean 
one week is better than no week. And if it's falling off a radar, then giving it a week is certainly something to do embed it. But as you say, every every week should be careers week. And as I, you know, in my extra capacity as a literacy coordinator, I like the phrase, every teacher is a teacher of literacy. Mm. But always it's about weaving it in, not bolting it on. Now, this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. That's JCTTR2324. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. So in, we've sort of set the scene. Um, Let's have a look at where provision is particularly lacking, according to Ofsted. And one of the things which comes up, and it's one of those big things, I think, which is getting the balance right between the academic options and the technical options. And this idea of unbiased guidance, which is the Baker Clause, which is now wonderfully beefed up. Um, Or I say wonderfully beefed up, it's sort of been sort of given a a few extras. I'm not sure how much beefing up is. I'll let you tell me um, whether you think it's been beefed up. Um, for anybody who's completely new to the world of careers education, um, in what is the Baker, what is the Baker clause? It's also called the Provider Access Legislation, mm-hmm. and basically, it's a set of tick boxes that schools have to complete, and this is brought around because Lord Baker. Um, he's the person behind the UTCs and he wanted schools to promote the academic the technical routes via apprenticeships and MVQs etc as being equal in parity to the academic which is something I'm fully behind because you know different strokes for different folks we all learn in different ways So I'm fully behind that. But we were finding that schools were doing what we've always done. And let's face it, we're a profession of graduates. We know you go to university, you get your qualification, and then you go off into your profession. The majority of teachers haven't done an apprenticeship or haven't worked outside of the, the graduate route. So schools automatically default to go to university and get your degree so the provider access legislation has said that every school must provide two experiences with employers or training providers in each of key stage three key stage four and key stage five there are various things that the school has to do. They have All of these need to be available and delivered to entire cohorts. You can't say, right, um, the top sets go and do this and the lower sets go and do this. It has to be universal. Everybody gets to in that cohort gets to go. And that can be a year group. It can be a subject group. And each child must have two of those within certain dates in key stage three, key stage four. And they must have access to two in key stage five. And there are certain things that these encounters have to have. 
They've got to have information about the qualifications that the training provider or company provide. They must have information about what career routes they could lead to. It's got to give an insight into the role with that training provider or company. And it must also be a two-way thing. It must Children must get to ask questions and they should be participating. Now, also, though this isn't in the offset thing, the careers enterprise company has now added that they should have learning outcomes. So it's not just get the bloke in from the local bank to come and talk in assembly. There's got to be a learning outcome to it. And that is what is meant to make schools follow this path that there should be seen to be parity of esteem between technical and academic routes. So, yeah, it's about getting that balance right and actually telling the students in front of you, even though it might be counterproductive if you have, for example, a sick form, that actually there are plenty of other opportunities out yeah. there as well. But also post-18, you don't, you know, universities sold to you as this is what most people do, but actually there's plenty of other things as well, including improved technical education, qualifications, apprenticeships, etc. And six is it it's six encounters um, now two two year eight two halfway through year nine two between year ten and halfway through year eleven and then two offered in year twelve and thirteen but not they don't have to attend by law. Um, I suppose one of the key questions then is about in terms of technical education qualifications is about and I'm going to throw this at you um, sort of I wasn't going to ask you this but I suppose I am about T levels. Um, because the government had a big thing about T-levels and introducing T-levels. Nadim Zahawi, who was probably Education Secretary, about five Education Secretaries ago, I think, um, did all of his interviews and had the T on the T lapel on his mm-hmm. suit. Um, yeah. so we support the T-levels. Julian King's a big fan of degree apprenticeships. We'll come on to those as well. Um, but now all of a sudden, Rishi Sunak stood up and said, well, I'll tell you what, we're going to combine A-levels and T-levels together now, going to get rid of T-levels and have the advanced British standard. And then a day later, uh, they had the big T-levels celebration launch thing um, for a qualification which Sunak wants to get rid of. Um, you could make it are, up, could you? Do T-levels... Like, they've had teething problems. The dropout rates are quite high compared to other level three qualifications. Mm. Well, what's your take on them? I think they've not they've not been given the chance to embed properly yet, and I think that this is purely a personal um, observation. I think Rishi Sunak was talking out of a part of anatomy that wasn't meant for speaking. And let's face it, there's a general election coming. They're all spouting loads of stuff. It's not going to the ABS is not going to happen. Hopefully we get something more coherent once we've got a new government in. And the degree apprenticeship to Suze. Um, Gillian Keegan, of course, did a degree apprenticeship herself, um, having left school at 16. Um, and certainly in my area, in sort of Nottinghamshire and Derbyshire, <laughs> um, you've got a couple of really big employers who offer degree apprenticeships. And what we've found, particularly being on the border, is, if I can name one, Rolls-Royce, um, 
they, you know, a lot of our sick forms who may well have gone off to university now find themselves getting a job, getting a degree, going into a degree apprenticeship route there. Mm. Um, so, what's your take on sort of degree apprentices, degree apprenticeships? Um, are they a useful route for students to be thinking about? What else is there out there as well? There was a um, a report that came out today that has said that apprenticeships isn't doing a lot for social mobility that basically middle class kids have dis- discovered degree apprenticeships and the the levels of of middle and upper class children going for them has gone has gone through the roof there's also been a major drop in level 2 apprenticeships um which are for the younger pupils leaving at 16 or 18 who may want to go into a particular route so there are some issues there um there there is a fantastic um newsletter every monday or a blog every monday by alan careers guru who looks at the higher and degree apprenticeships that have come out every week throughout the entire country and it is absolutely amazing and there are opportunities out there, but some of them are harder to get into than Oxbridge. Mm. Mm. That's quite alarming. Um, very. Very alarming, yes. Um, and I, I think it's really interesting what you say about essentially the middle classes have discovered degree apprenticeships and are driving out those who, um, you know, many of the people who would have really benefited from them i suppose um and that's certainly food for thought definitely um we talked about baker clause we talked about degree apprenticeships we talked about t levels um some of the other things which have not helped careers provision in schools according to ofsted we've talked about time um how about the pandemic you know i've still got students and staff who are off because of covid at the moment we're in october 2023 so it hasn't properly gone away but it's been three and a half Mm. years now would you believe since the start of the pandemic um what impact has that had do you think on careers provision in schools in some ways it's been very very beneficial um we've had lots of things like virtual work experience coming into play which though it isn't a complete replacement for work for work experience where you go off and work with an employer gives a taste of of what working life is like there's been lots of videos uh, and and webinars that have come about through this And, and that in itself has been fantastic however a lot of schools have cancelled work experience and haven't gone back to it we're also dealing with children with a lot of mental health issues and one of the key things that a good careers advisor can support young people with it is the transition between what school expects of you and what the working world will expect of you because a careers advisor is so much more than, right, come in, tell me what you want to do. Right, here's a paper. You need to get these GCSEs. Off you go. Good luck. It's not like that anymore. It, it's akin to counselling, psychology. It is much more nuanced than 
anyone can understand. Every careers advisor or the majority of careers advisors within schools are level six qualified, postgraduate qualified. And they have got a whole armory of, of support that they can put in there for children who are affected um, by the pandemic, who might be at danger of being neat or, or dropping out in some way. So the this realisation, I think, is starting to come around more. People are starting to see the value of, of careers advisors uh, and the role they can play in supporting young people. Um, having said that, the working world is very different now. We've got a lot more people working from home. So work experience opportunities aren't as plentiful as they, as they were. And getting employers to come in is more difficult because they, they could be on the beach in Barbados for all we know. <laughs> yeah, and you, you're not wrong. And... I think, yeah, some really important things to think about there. So, yes, lots of opportunities, but also um, some things to consider as well. Um, now, if we look at ultimately what Ofsted has recommended, it says in terms of what schools and FE and skills providers have said, it says they should, number one, ensure that they take advantage of the potential benefits provided by networks like careers yeah. hubs, such as for employer engagement. Number two, ensure that the careers programme is delivered by staff with the necessary expertise and with appropriate support from careers specialists. Number three, continue to develop staff knowledge of technical pathways, including T-levels, and promoting these equally alongside academic routes using the DfE's updated statutory guidance. And finally, and making sure that encounters with employees, such as free careers fairs and talks, um, are delivered in a way that is most beneficial for pupils and learners. We've covered a lot of that yeah. in our conversation. Um, one of the things that we haven't really mentioned as much is the careers hubs. So we have behaviour hubs, we have careers hubs, we have all sorts of hubs. It's one of the DfE's biggest things at the moment. It's all, all about the hubs. Um, for anybody like me who doesn't really know what a careers hub is, any anything you, any can you shine a light on that? Yeah, I can. Um, a careers hub is run by the careers and enterprise company, and they are set up in various different areas. So each area will have its own careers hub. And they will provide opportunities for networking. They put on um, they put on conferences, training, etc. They can link schools to their enterprise advisors, who are volunteers from business, who will come in and work with the the careers leader. Because every school must have a named careers leader, and importantly, the statutory guidance said who has enough time to do the job properly. And that is something that has come out in the um, the recommendations from the Common Z Committee, that careers leaders must have that time. Because a big chunk of the work that, that careers leaders need to do is networking and building up those relationships with local employers so that they can come in and support the school and support the teachers yeah i mean time's a big thing um i mean the question i suppose to you is 
how much time do they need? Um, not more than they're getting. We, not more than they're getting. Um, what, what, what do we reckon? Half of their week um, without teaching so that we can do this more? Well, that, that would be lovely. Um, there are various different types of careers leaders, to be honest. It, there's no such thing as a careers leader, and they all like that. You have careers advisors who are not teaching, mm-hmm. and they also do the careers leading as well. You have, mm-hmm. you have teachers who are teaching their subject and are the careers leader. And in effect, that was what I was in school. And I got the same um, downtime as a head of year or someone like that. And that wasn't mm. enough even back then. And there's more to do now. You'll also, you'll also get a senior leader who wears that hat along, along with probably five other different hats and has practically no time at all. So it, there's lots of different people. And occasionally you'll even get an admin person who is a careers leader. <clears throat> and one of the big issues within schools is the awful salaries that are being offered for non-teaching careers careers leaders there's plenty Mm. of careers advisors and careers advisors in schools are are never offered enough money for a graduate position but to be a careers leader as well and still be on 26 28 grand a year i mean would you do it (laughs) Well, it's less than what a teacher earns in their first year. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they're just entering the profession, aren't they? £30,000 now. Oh, wow. That, that'll go a long way today, won't it? Mm. But careers <laughs> leaders do need the time because there is a lot to do. And if anyone is interested in the role of a careers leader, there's a fantastic handbook, and I'm not paid to promote this. I'm afraid, Janet, um, if you want to talk about your handbook, you're more than welcome to tweet us later. Okay, I will tweet, it not now, my but, um, I'm sure it, I'm sure it'll be wonderful. Janet, you've been absolutely fantastic. Um, and do feel free to hang around for the next 50 minutes or so, because we are going to talk to Chris now. And before I go. Yeah, go for it. Very quickly. That one of the key things Absolutely. is making sure that all staff get CPD for careers. That's mm. what it's going to be. How? And obviously CPD, from a teacher's perspective, it's meant to be continuous. So it's not just one one-off session after school exactly. on Wednesday. Um, and uh, there's lots of other competing professional development opportunities as well. So how? Yeah. So how how are you go, how how do te- how are you going to give teachers the professional development they need in order to truly understand careers and benchmark four and any of the other benchmarks they might have a role to play in as well? Yeah, well that that's what I spend all my time doing. So it, mm-hmm. it is very important and it, it needs to be done. Ofsted actually says within its common inspection framework that all teachers should be well qualified in the subject that they are teaching. And if you're teaching careers, then you need to understand it. 
And every teacher is the teacher of careers. Janet, you've been absolutely fantastic. You're more than welcome to hang around uh, before uh, while we teach Chris. If you need to go anywhere, feel free to go anywhere. But it's been a real pleasure and a real privilege um, to share in your wisdom, Janet. So thank you very much. Um, no, it's an absolute pleasure. Now, before we talk to Chris, um, we have some very exciting news at Teachers Talk Radio because um, you may well have heard of Teach Meet Icons, which has been running since 2015. And it's been providing free face-to-face and virtual um, continuous professional development, CPD, um, for teachers um, with a domain-specific approach that allows teachers to choose the events that are most relevant to their development as practitioners. Um, lots of different subjects. Um, Lots of different subject areas, uh, PSHE, um, leadership, um, other things as well. Um, International, of course, which Lucy helps to coordinate. Um, And absolutely delighted, um, yesterday we announced that Teach Meet Icons is now Teachers Talk Radio Events. So you can find out more about our wonderful events wing, um, which is run by the wonderfully organised Steph Nichols, um, at our website, ttradio.org forward slash events. And you can sign up for our free online and face-to-face um, CPD. So, for example, if you're an English teacher, Teachers Talk English is online um, at the second on the 2nd of December. Um, and over the new year, on the 6th of February, we have another online CPD opportunity for Teachers Talk Sociology. Um, on the 20th of April, we have one of our face-to-face sessions um, in Manchester, and that is for the science teachers amongst you on the 20th of April. So do check out our website, ttradio.org forward slash events. See if you can find your subject. Maybe we can have a careers um, maybe we can have a careers one as well. I wonder if we've got some people who would help to run that. But at the moment, we have got English, science, history, MFL, maths, geography, religious studies, international. Um, and I think I said sociology, but I didn't. Sociology as well. But if you are a teacher of a subject and I haven't just said your subject there, then please do get in contact with us at ttradio.org forward slash events um, because we've got some fantastic opportunities to take control of your professional development for free. Um, In addition, we've got some fantastic shows coming up for the rest of a week, um, seven days, seven spaces. um, But tomorrow, Nathan Ginn is joined on the wonderful world of Podbean. Uh, the 19th of October at 6pm, he is joined by the wonderful James Pierce, and they are going to be talking about James Pierce's wonderful new book, which is, I need to find the title now, um, which is hidden from me. It's called Do You Want to Share That With the Class? Hilarious Anecdotes and Honest Advice for Primary ECTs. So that's absolutely fantastic book from Bloomsbury, and that show is going to be tomorrow on Podbean at 6pm. In addition, on at 7.30pm tomorrow night, we have Education Tonight um, with the dynamic duo, you can't stop them from talking, um, Adam Spence and Brent Poland. They regularly, as Lucy will be able to tell you, go on well beyond 9pm. Um, and they are going to be talking about the latest EPI report. Why are white working class children underperforming in our education system? And why are gaps opening up between groups in outcomes? On Friday at 7.30pm, we have um, Tolly McCarthy. She's back for her monthly space. And she's going to be asking a really interesting 
interesting question, one which is going to cause and already has caused a great deal of debate. Do parents care about 100% attendance anymore? In the wake of a pandemic, in the wake of lockdowns, in the wake of school closures, is this 100% attendance? What did parents ever care about 100% attendance? Does it really matter anymore? And um, what opportunities might there be um, in order for students who aren't going to school for anxiety-related reasons um, to continue to access education? Saturday, 8pm, we have the return of Yasmin Omar, and 11am on Sunday, we have the return of Omar Pazar as well. So we've got some absolutely fantastic shows, both on Podbean and here on Twitter Spaces. I can't bear to call it X, I won't, here on Twitter Spaces. Um, As a reminder, this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JC. TTR 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. If you want to be a host on Teachers Talk Radio, do get in contact with us at ttradio.org forward slash contact. Tell us what you want to talk about. And um, you can also email us at info at ttradio.org. And if you want to join in the conversation tonight, we've been talking all about careers. On the bottom right-hand side of your screen, you can see a speech bubble with a number four next to it, which tells us the number of tweets we've had about the show tonight. And also on the left-hand bottom, left-hand side, for those of you who are brave enough to want to speak, we have the request to speak button as well. We've just heard from Janet College, who's been dissecting Ofsted's latest review um, on careers provision and careers education with us. And our next guest is Chris Webb. Now... We're going to be talking about artificial intelligence and AI can be quite a scary subject. Um, But we've got to remember it's already embedded into our everyday lives. For example, Netflix, Spotify and YouTube, they use AI algorithms to suggest shows, music and videos based on your preferences and viewing history. You've got chatbots in online shopping, banking, airline reservations and more, which interact with you as a user and assist you and provide you with information. You get personalised news feeds on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, where you can follow TT Radio, of course. Um, And... It, and it gives you preferences based on what you've looked at before. Google Maps or other maps um, apps are available. Using AI, they predict your travel times and they suggest you some optimal routes. And also when you're texting on your phone, autocorrect artificial intelligence as well. You've got algorithms for suggesting and correcting words as you type. So it's already embedded into our everyday lives. Today, Chris and I are going to talk about the role that AI could play Um, in terms of careers provision and careers education in schools, but also the limitations and the role of a human, I suppose, in giving careers advice and also in giving careers education. So, Chris, a very good evening and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. How are you doing? Hello, Tom. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Can you you hear me okay? I can hear you loud and clear, Chris. So for anybody who doesn't know you, um, just give a brief introduction about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, very, very brief introduction, because I, I have been known to waffle if given the opportunity. So, uh, yeah, my, my background, I guess, I'm, I'm currently a, a registered careers professional working in the higher education sector. So I w- won't say my institution just because I'm here representing myself. 
Uh, but my background's also in kind of delivering uh, careers guidance within uh, schools and colleges as well. So I used to be a careers leader in a secondary school in Leeds. I used to run the, the careers network uh, in the city that was uh, sponsored by the Leeds City Council. Um, and so I've been involved in lots of things, lots of initiatives, uh, as Janet was talking about, like National Careers Week, put our schools through the quality and careers standards. Um, I've completed the Teach First Careers Leadership Programme. So have kind of that background sort of within schools and I'm now based within the higher education sector and sort of outside of, of my day job, uh, do a lot of stuff around the kind of career development sector more generally. So uh, I run a show called We Are Careers, which we, we do as part of the Career Development Institute. So that's kind of a CPD offering for careers professionals um, and also sort of uh, run a newsletter on LinkedIn, which again is, is all about sort of promoting what's happening across the career sector. Uh, that's called The Week in Careers. Both of those are, are totally free for people to access. So they're just CPD offering for the sector. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, you're very knowledgeable about careers and we're delighted to have you here, uh, much like with Janet as well. I suppose, first of all, we've touched on some of these with um, Janet, but for the teachers who are listening on demand and also live, we need to do a bit of myth busting about what careers advice actually is, because I've spoken to many teachers and there are still a lot of misconceptions about actually careers advice in particular so we're not just talking about careers education but careers advice so let's start with the first one which i've got here which is some people think that yes students do get one-on-one meetings with a careers advisor or a career coach but it's just for year 11 myth isn't it why certainly should be certainly should be and again the caveat to all of this is something that janet's mentioned which is around time so Within the kind of statutory guidance at the moment, yes, you know, all students should have that kind of one-to-one before year 11, uh, delivered by a qualified careers professional, as Janet said, uh, you know, qualified to at least level six. Um, so that's that's the ideal. Um, of course, we know that, that kind of the delivery of, of that type of support should happen much earlier. And ideally, there should be multiple points where, where students are able to access those kind of one-to-one appointments. And indeed, at the moment, perhaps not down that kind of one-to-one sort of guidance area, but certainly in terms of careers education, we're seeing the primary uh, schools pilot at the moment, so primary careers. Um, and obviously within the kind of latest sort of guidance, um, more kind of emphasis on, on sort of year seven upwards rather than year eight upwards. So, so I think, yes, I, I guess in the sense, yes, it's a myth in that we absolutely should be seeing um, that kind of guidance and that support delivered uh, earlier than year 11. But again, a lot of it is dependent on what schools have access to in terms of that kind of independent support, um, how much they're sort of willing or able to fund, depending on their resources. Um, but it's important to note that there are other ways that that gets delivered. So one sort of method that's been um, used quite a lot now in, in by various sort of careers professionals around the country is this idea of group guidance. So actually kind of pulling sort of students together to actually kind of deliver sessions or sort of very small group sessions around that idea of how to make effective career decisions at key transition points um, and using that as a way to sort of triage and I guess almost kind of rag rate students that then might need sort of further more intensive support and those who might not um, through those kind of more uh, advanced sort of one-to-one meetings. So it's a complex question, but yes, I would say definitely myth in the sense that uh, of what should be happening. Mm. And yeah, um, time's a big thing. And, you know, when it comes to those one-on-one meetings, um, schools are absolutely right to prioritise year 11, mm. particularly those who are in danger of falling out of education, employment or training. But it's not just for year 11 and where schools can, um, mm. they ought to, because it is a Gatsby benchmark. Um, second one, careers advisors tell people what they should do. Yes, I'm really glad you mentioned this one. Yeah, that is absolutely, absolutely a myth. Yeah. So I think, again, it kind of comes back to something that, that Janet sort of alluded to, which is around the distinction between the different elements of what we call CEIAG. So that's careers, education, information, advice and guidance. Um, and I think what kind of tends to muddy the water a little bit is partly the, the nomenclature involved, which, which, to be honest, is is sometimes to do with the career development sector. So 
often in schools, as you've said, people will be referred to as careers advisors. That's kind of the common job title. However, what we're really talking about in terms of the distinction is, is careers guidance, which um, the careers and enterprise company and the Gatsby Benchmarks refer to as personal guidance, Gatsby Benchmark 8. So to kind of break them down, I guess, into, into sort of the different categories, uh, careers education, you know, Janet's talked a little bit about that. That would be a mixture of things, including specific sessions um, around maybe how to make career decisions, uh, things like exploring importance of the labour market that could be delivered by specialists um, or kind of Gatsby Benchmark 4, which I know we'll be talking about. So kind of bringing careers education uh, and relating it back to particular subjects. Um, we have careers information, which you know can be delivered by a range of sources, can be kind of online, can be delivered by guest speakers, uh, can be delivered by sort of other members of staff who may have specialisms in a particular area. And this could be anything to do with, uh, you know, job profiles. It might be kind of information about, um, let's say, kind of salaries within particular industries. It could simply be like the day to day in relation to what happens in particular sectors or particular roles. So there's a whole range of things that could be kind of careers information. Um, we then get to kind of the advice side, which, again, it, it's it's an interesting one because it can be delivered by sort of different um stakeholders i guess you know it's quite possible for example as part of a mentoring program bringing in somebody to the school who perhaps has been an alumni or, or someone from industry they might be offering kind of specific advice maybe about their career journey caveated with the fact that this is based on their experience but the really key thing that, that we kind of have to bear in mind when it comes to qualified careers professionals is this idea of career guidance and this is where we're talking about those kind of one-to-one -one appointments um minimum of 45 minutes that that is the career development institute guidance again we know that doesn't necessarily happen in every school but the big difference there and, and the reason that it's kind of distinct from this idea of telling people what to do uh, is that guidance is, is never meant to be that uh, it's about sort of empowering young people to to identify sort of explore take forward their own kind of career ideas their career interests it's about sort of unpicking things that might be kind of impacting or influencing um, decisions that they make or kind of their, their own knowledge um, and it's about sort of helping them feel more confident making these type of decisions moving forward and, and that can involve a whole range of things but at the core it, it is personal you know talking about your own career is personal so when it kind of comes to this idea of guidance it, it can't simply be it's not simply about information provision if it was just about information provision it would be incredibly easy for ai as a technology to take these type of roles um, but the truth is, it just isn't. And uh, the profession that we have, as, as Janet's kind of mentioned, qualifying to level six or above requires kind of picking up um, guidance, counselling skills, career coaching skills. Many of our kind of careers professionals are, are registered, which means that every year they undertake 25 hours of CPD. We sign up to a code of ethics, which includes areas like transparency, accountability. Um, and a core part, really, of what we do is, is that sort of empathy, understanding and unconditional sort of positive regard, which which is just not something AI can replicate. Um, so I, I, it's really important. I, I could talk quite a bit about sort of the guidance side, but I think the, you know, the key thing to kind of note about it is it's very much about supporting people with those personal decisions around their career. And it's about empowering and not telling um, people what to do. Yes. Um, so empowering people and, you know, the word mm. coaching is really important. Um, you know, anybody involved in teaching in the classroom as a teacher will probably, you know, the words instructional and coaching have probably been mentioned mm. next to each other in your school at some point in the last few years. Now, whatever you think about the wonderful Americanization that is instructional mm. coaching, there is a lot of coaching that takes place. I am a coach and I say anybody who wants to be a coach, whatever that might be, whether you're sort of coaching a teacher or coaching somebody in terms of careers, two best things you can do are not don't talk, listen and mm -hmm. ask lots of questions. That's what I'd say in terms of coaching. Let them come to their own decision and be there to guide them. 
um, in terms of allowing them to do the heavy lifting and the big thinking. Now, of course, if you've got young people coming to you as a careers advisor or somebody working in, in terms of careers education, um, you will know more than them and therefore you have the expertise and it's important that you share that. But um, yes, it's very personal and it's about empowering people. And then my final myth I've got here is careers is about what job you Yes, definitely. What a do myth. we recommend um, that one? And actually, myth, complicated, people... something else. Oh, sorry, I may have just uh, dropped out a bit there. Yeah, um, yeah, I think absolutely a myth. Um, and I think one that's actually very pervasive uh, throughout society and throughout people's career journeys and not just for young people, um, which is which is quite disappointing. Um, and yeah, the reason that it's a myth is that, you know, career is our journey through life, learning, work. Um, your career is absolutely not just about the job you do. It's about how, you know, your work, your personal interests interact with every kind of facet of your life. And that's what makes guidance so complex um, because it's not just about saying what are you going to do for a job when you leave school it's about helping people to try and kind of consider what do I want my life to look like and what sort of decisions might I have to make to kind of get me in that general direction but also how can I kind of manage this once I leave the safety of a, of a really supportive network you know how am I going to independently make these type of decisions so yeah absolutely a myth and uh, I think it's something actually we, we could do with talking about more often with adults as, as well as young people. Definitely. Now, um, the reason why you're here, pardon me, the reason why you're here tonight, Chris, is because I asked Janet whether um, she wanted to talk about um, the role that AI could play, especially since the government is now talking about AI um, in many aspects of education, including careers. And she said, well, actually, somebody like Chris would be um, very well suited to it. So that's why you're here, Chris, because you were highly recommended by Janet. Um and I no suppose pressure. the first thing I want to talk about is um, just, again, big picture, sort of looking at mm. the whole thing. Are there any key developments in AI, in education and in careers education that teachers should be aware of? Yeah, always. It's a big question. Yeah. Um, and I think I kind of caveat what I'm going to say here with, with sort of stating that, that realistically, AI is, is in some ways like any technology. You know, there, there are benefits and limitations, which we'll talk about. Um, but also like anything that you might include as part of a careers provision, um, it only really can be successful if it complements um, what else is there. Holistic practice, you know, you, you've both talked about that, that idea of Gatsby Benchmark 1, of having that kind of whole school programme and why that's so important. Um, and I think it's, it's you know, in essence, very similar with, with AI. Yes, AI can probably help with um, aspects of careers education, certainly with aspects of careers information. I would generally kind of steer clear of, of kind of moving it towards advice and certainly guidance. Um, but certainly with careers education and information, I've got a few examples I can kind of talk about today in, in terms of how it can kind of help solve some of these problems. However, what I would say, again, with all of that is much like bringing employers into the curriculum, uh, you know, much like using opportunities like mentoring, uh, work experience, all these type of things. Um, they, they don't work in isolation. So just kind of having the technology in and of itself is not going to solve these problems. The other side of things, which, again, I'll, I'll sort of caveat this with is, and particularly in relation to, to the government's kind of hackathon that you, you kind of alluded to, um, there's that Albert Einstein quote about if I had an hour to solve a problem and my life depended on the solution, I would spend the first 55 minutes determining the proper question to ask. For once I know the proper question, I could solve the problem in less than five minutes. And I think that for me is where this kind of idea of, of the hackathon in principle, you could say, kind of makes sense. Although there are some serious kind of concerns I have with it, which we might get on to. Um, 
But I would argue that the government don't necessarily know and the DfE don't necessarily know what the problems are they're trying to solve. Certainly with some of the ideas we've seen talked about, you know, can AI basically deliver careers advice and can it help um, prepare EHCPs, things like that? I would say that they're probably asking the wrong questions in terms of where are their gaps at the moment where actually AI is well positioned to kind of solve problems, which we'll talk about a bit later, um, and where is it actually not positioned at all to kind of solve those problems. So in terms of sort of what's happening generally, I guess, kind of in, in sort of the careers education space, quite a lot of kind of ed tech firms, I, I, you know, I won't name specific ones on here just for kind of reasons of fairness, but quite a lot of ed tech firms that specialise in kind of careers platforms are already building um, this type of kind of AI t technology into what they do. And this can be things, for example, like um, building algorithms that bring together all of the kind of course information uh, that they have available to them, the kind of skills profiling tools that they have on these careers platforms, and then kind of mapping them together. So essentially, it's kind of personalizing the experience for, for students. So when they go on these platforms, um, you know, they filled in kind of a skills profile assessment. It kind of comes back and says, you know, you're really interested in this, this and this. Um, and then immediately it's kind of mapping or doing a better job of mapping local opportunities and kind of showing them and, and doing a bit of kind of nudge theory uh, in terms of kind of giving them notifications based on what they've been looking for. So I would say those are kind of the type of things that on a practical basis, you know, are, are kind of are already out there, already sort of being implemented. Um, and then alongside that, I would say, you know, that there are lots of educators at the moment, lots of careers professionals who are using kind of tools like ChatGPT um, in different ways for scaffolding kind of careers research, careers exploration, for helping with things like um, production of kind of CVs and applications. Um, so there's lots of good examples of that happening, different kind of people you can follow who are doing that sort of work. Um, but what I would say at the moment is that, you know, there are, I would argue, no real experts in the use of generative AI in career development. And education. I wouldn't say, I, th I think we're still at that point now, even nine months on, where there's a lot of experimentation going on. Um, and I think we have to kind of be careful to, I guess, kind of subscribe or prescribe anything as, as being the silver bullet. Mm. Yes, no such thing as a silver bullet in education. You did more talk about ed tech and you talked about um, aspects like that. It's a great opportunity mm -hmm. to remind the wonderful um, listeners that Teachers Talk Radio will be at Bet UK 2024, oh. the 24th and the 26th of January. Um, our wonderful um, founder and director, Tom Rogers, will be leading the TTR. Um, well, I can't think of a word. The entourage down there um, in London. And if you are in a tech provider and you are listening um, tonight or on catch up, um, then, yeah, we'd love to talk to you down at Bet in January. So please do get in contact with us. Our email is info at ttradio.org. Um, and we're delighted to talk to you. Um, you've talked about you've given us a big picture. You've laced it with lots of caveats, which are really important. And I know that you work in higher education and mm. most of our listeners work in primary or secondary schools. Um, and I suppose there's a lot more challenges, I suppose, for schools to think about in terms of implementing AI um, compared to universities. So from a school's perspective, what what should we bear in mind and what what why should what should we, what should we be cautious about? Yeah, I, I think it's a really good point. So, I mean, you, you'll see at the moment with quite a lot of sort of universities. And again, it may be true possibly for some kind of colleges as well. I, I, I'm, you know, less kind of connected in that sector, but certainly kind of from a university perspective, we're seeing lots of kind of universities now prepare pretty kind of comprehensive AI principles for their students that kind of balance both the academic integrity side of things. So things like plagiarism um, and also kind of, I, I suppose, an emphasis on teaching AI literacy, helping students um, and graduates to become AI literate. That's an important thing I'll kind of come back to because, again, 
Um, I think you sort of mentioned earlier, you know, this technology is going nowhere. It's um, being implemented in more and more industries. And there's a lot of talk about things like job displacement over the longer term. But I think in the short term, something that people will definitely have to be aware of is this idea of AI enablement. You know, how are you using it within your role? How could you use it within your role um, in order to kind of create efficiencies, be more productive in certain things that you're doing? And I'll, I'll give a few examples of what I mean by that. Um, and, and so I think, you know, it is, as you've said, kind of unavoidable. The caveat with that, I suppose, looking at universities in comparison to schools is that from a university perspective, they can set up these kind of principles, these academic integrity guidelines. But ultimately, the students that they work with will all be able to carry devices with them throughout the university. They'll have access to kind of lots of computers on site um, and certainly in things like one to one appointments with careers professionals or even in kind of careers education sessions um, or just kind of more generally around the campus they've got the opportunity to have some of these AI tools kind of in the palm of their hand as they're going about the process of their education. That is obviously very, very different for schools. And particularly, I guess, in, in light of the recent sort of conversations around mobile phone bans, where, of course, we know that, that most schools are already kind of going down that route, um, if not formal, certainly kind of informal. So so I, I think that's one of the big difficulties is that we talk about, oh, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful to use this tech, uh, you know, throughout um, you know, the, the course of kind of education, wouldn't it be wonderful to get sort of students using this at a really young age? But ultimately, we know that that probably doesn't work in the sense of then allowing people to get on with the rest of their education and, and avoid distractions, all those sort of things. So that's kind of one of the issues. Uh, the other issue is around kind of data privacy. So, again, you know, if a, if a teacher is using something like ChatGPT, are they giving students access to that? The information that's kind of been put into ChatGPT, all of that is going back in to train the algorithm. So how much are we sharing? There's still a, a lot of kind of disagreement about how much maybe is, is kind of right to put into ChatGPT or what people feel comfortable doing. Um, and then, uh, you know, there are other issues in there around things like copyright infringement as well. So three massive um, lawsuits at the moment against OpenAI, who are the, the creators of ChatGPT, um, from musicians, uh, some well-known authors, uh, designers as well, I think, in, in the States. And that's all about are these systems actually taking existing data, which of course they are, and actually by using that to create new things, are they actually effectively infringing copyright? So there's some really interesting conversations going on around that side of things at the moment. And all of that, I think, means that whenever you're using it in sort of a school setting, these are things that we have to consider and, and why I would kind of argue that actually the AI literacy element, how can we have kind of critical conversations with, with young people about what AI is and how it might influence the world? Probably actually more important ultimately than, than the quick wins you can get from using it. But I'll kind of perhaps come back to that a little bit later. Yeah, really interesting. And uh, Lucy, you might have to correct me here. Was it Brent and Adam on Thursday who were talking about AI and AI leads in schools or was it somebody else? Um, can you help us out there, Lucy, at all? If I you... think it's 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 come up in a few shows recently. Certainly, mm. Brent and Adam were definitely talking about it on Thursday. And um, it came up in my show the other week when we were talking about sort of the future of classroom teaching yeah. as well. So it's been it's been on the radar a lot. It has. And yeah, I'd love to know from teachers out there who are listening live or listening back, does your school currently have an AI lead? Does it have a member? Is it a separate job title is it a member of a senior leadership team who is on their portfolio why are you sort of putting your head in the sand and hoping it all goes away because it isn't really mm. um lucy your hands up um we did a poll on this the other day i think did i do it i can't remember if i did it for brenton adams show i sort of um stuck it out there because it was of, of interest and surprisingly the results were uh significantly low um I, my school and i'm in primary uh has one 
um, has two actually, has one for Key Stage 2 and one for Key Stage 3 who are still on site at the moment. Um, but yeah, I was shocked by how many schools haven't leapt at this chance, but maybe it's in the works. Yes, possibly. I remember delivering some training on chat cheap training on chat gpt um back in january um at the start of this um, calendar year uh, but since then no we, we haven't really talked about it that much but i can always tell when a student has used it um particularly the older ones and i can always sniff it out and they're quite honest and they're saying hmm, well actually we did use it and i think certainly from my perspective as a history teacher you know teaching a lot of writing i think the craft of writing and actually how to construct um good writing you know sometimes um ai can get in the way and you know i'm sure there are some wonderful ai um, um, apps and um, programs out there which will help with writing at the moment i don't think chat gpt is very good at it unless you program it correctly um anyway we've gone very much off topic there um so yeah um and we've talked about data security um with chat gpt how it's used to basically reprogram any other ethical considerations we need to be aware of I, I mean, I, I suppose one argument that you could certainly make is uh, the Jurassic Park argument of uh, just because you think you could or you know you could doesn't necessarily mean you should. Um, and I think with some of the stuff around AI, you know, you've kind of alluded to there around kind of using it as a, a tool for supporting writing. One of the things that I'm really glad you mentioned there that is, is often really underestimated with tools like ChatGPT is the level of, I guess, written communication you need to be able to have to create good prompts so that's kind of a good starting point because i think you know sometimes there's this idea that yes this technology is super intuitive and in a sense it is it's it's based on natural language um but actually you know in order to create as you were saying the type of prompts that would really help you know to, to kind of craft your writing better it, it requires a lot of experimentation it requires a lot of you know baseline knowledge of, of generally kind of written communication so that's really important to know and i think the same is true there for for how you might use it within a school setting so you know there's a range of different ways that that you could kind of use it and i think you know things like for example generating um sort of images through tools like midjourney or dali to to kind of prompt careers education discussions so there, there's been a lot of talk around how sort of certainly in kind of earlier models, these kind of image generation tools were, were creating quite stereotypical images of uh, particular jobs. You know, it might be kind of, you know, very male dominated or, you know, very, let's say, kind of dominated by maybe one particular kind of race and, and very stereotypical in the way that they portrayed those roles. Because, of course, it's based on data that we've created. It's very Western centric um, or it certainly was very much at the beginning. Um, so I think there's, you know, there's those type of things you can use it for, sort of simple things to kind of create ideas. And it's, it generally can be very good for idea generation. That can also kind of stretch to things like uh, idea generation for maybe careers newsletters you might be using in schools. It might be kind of, um, you know, icebreakers for a, a careers lesson, you know, based on a particular theme. It can give you perhaps 10 ideas of starting points. Um, it might be that, for example, you've got a particular scheme of work and you're wanting to see, well, how could we kind of map this up and, and make it fit with Gatsby Benchmark 4? And again, it's quite good for giving those starting points and giving those ideas. But I think to kind of come back to that, that idea of just because you can doesn't mean you should. I think it's looking at the broader idea of, well, actually, what's missing from our careers program? And is it just a case of we're going to use AI because it's there or is it actually filling a gap that we don't have at the moment? So you might have seen this week uh, Cottesmore or Cottesmore Prep School uh, have made the news for kind of hiring this this AI chatbot principal head teacher. Um, essentially, all this is, is that the school have got a an AI personal assistant for their for their head teacher. The role of this AI personal assistant is essentially to kind of crunch educational data it's been trained on, 
you know, make suggestions based on this data analysis, act as a sounding board for kind of strategic decisions. Sounds quite scary, but it's certainly the way that a lot of industries will be going in terms of kind of using AI as, I suppose, almost like a super brain to analyze a lot of their internal data and to kind of offer solutions, not final, um, you know, kind of maybe answers to strategic problems, but, but different um, solutions from a slightly different perspective to, to a person. So that's an example of kind of maybe how one school's using it from a very, very top level, strategic level. Um, other schools will be using it for kind of more operational stuff, for, you know, maybe kind of helping to sort of write reports, um, for maybe kind of putting together kind of templates for schemes of work, those sort of things, perhaps for kind of taking away some of the, the time consuming element of sort of administrative tasks. And others will be using it, as we were saying, for things like idea generation and, and helping to kind of maybe speed up that process or, or, or even use that as a starting point point for cpd session so there's lots of ways you can use it but i, I think again it comes back to the idea of what what is the purpose you know what's missing and, and where could ai kind of fill that gap yeah definitely um another thing which i think is important and janet and i sort of touched upon was, was when we talked about degree apprenticeships and how they've been discovered by the middle classes and the sort of um who had taken up most of the opportunities is that I can see a way in which AI can help to address some of the disparities in terms of access to quality advice. Is that is that something you see as well in terms of sort of some students have a better diet of careers guidance and careers navigation um, than others and AI can help sort of close the disadvantage gap in that respect? Am I barking up the wrong tree or... Is not necessarily, no, no, not necessarily bark up the tree. I think, I think certainly in relation to careers information, yes, in terms of maybe democratizing, you know, how easy it is to access careers information. And, you know, there are already uh, kind of chatbots out there, uh, careers chatbots that have been created in tandem with careers professionals that kind of help to, I guess, kind of solve that type of problem, you know, on demand, 24-7 access to good quality careers information. But I think the distinction, again, is really important. So, Information is just one part of it. And, and you know, some government ministers, and we won't name who, would have you believe that if every single young person in the country knew about degree apprenticeships, all of the world's ills would be solved. Um, but as Janet's kind of mentioned earlier, there aren't just issues in there around kind of social mobility. A lot of that is actually based on the fact that there is a huge supply and demand issue with apprenticeships. They, they are much more uh, popular now or have become much more popular but actually the, the supply simply isn't there. There aren't the numbers, uh, particularly of higher degree apprenticeships, to, to kind of... Um, you know, really serve all students that might be interested in them. And they are highly dependent on, uh, because obviously they're linked to employers, uh, as you mentioned earlier, highly dependent on where the employers are based, uh, much like kind of T-levels. If you can't find a placement in that particular industry, it's it's not necessarily going to be the right option for you. Um, and that sort of nuance around the advice around pathways is exactly the sort of thing that careers professionals are so good at. That's that's one aspect of it. Um, the other aspect, just to kind of come back to the guidance side, is is this is where the, you know, the personal element of guidance and I guess, you know, the, the, the counselling training, but also the, you know, the years of interactions with with young people, the labour market knowledge, the interactions with employers, all of this comes together when kind of careers professionals are providing guidance that makes it very difficult for AI to replicate. So a, a good example, actually, one of one of my colleagues in the careers world, Chris Target, um, shared this with me so, shortly before the broadcast tonight. Um, and what he was talking about is, you know, there are lots and lots of things that kind of AI can do. And certainly in terms of, you know, you can ask it questions about what does this job involve? I, I've created kind of custom instructions on ChatGPT to kind of mimic informational interviews. So um, I can send a QR code to a student they, they say I'm interested in digital marketing and this kind of chatbot that I've programmed will basically kind of act as if it's a digital marketer and, and answer questions as if it's in that job role. Very cool, very good for kind of general careers information type of stuff. Um, but what it misses, and this is what kind of Chris mentioned, is 
AI doesn't catch the glint in a person's eye and ask, you know, what was it you wanted to ask but didn't? Was there, was there something missing there? Was it about the personal circumstances of that individual? Was it about, you know, they're having kind of doubts maybe about a particular aspect of the work, but, that you know, that they can't necessarily ask that or get that response from kind of an AI tool? You know, are there things that they're thinking about that maybe they've they've had a little kind of gem of an idea but they you know they're not sure whether to say it and they need someone there to kind of prompt them or to challenge them or to kind of really sort of draw that information out of them and, and that is exactly what guidance is and the thing that worries me a little bit about the idea of, of the government suggesting kind of ai for careers advice um, which again i think is, is the risk of leaking into guidance is again it's they're very good these systems at providing information based on the set of data that they've been trained on but not necessarily at that further prompting and challenging of individuals and essentially understanding that humans don't make logical decisions. You know, that there is a huge amount of complexity that goes into us as people. Um, the quote that kind of comes to mind is from, from Goodwill Hunting. So there's Sean Maguire, the, the therapist, is, is kind of talking to Matt Damon's character. Um, and at the end of the speech, he says, you know, you think I know the first thing about how hard your life has been, how you feel, who you are, because I read Oliver Twist. Does that encapsulate you? And I think that's that's the issue when it comes to kind of AI and this idea of giving advice and guidance is, you know, you just because you have information about what someone's interested in does not mean that you're necessarily going to be able to help guide them on those decisions or kind of look into the complex uh, complexity and the nuance there. So, yeah, I, I think from sort of my perspective, yes, from the careers information standpoint, there's, there's real opportunities in there. And like I say, some ed tech careers firms are already doing this to really kind of democratise how easy it is to kind of get um, access to good careers information. But certainly in terms of the advice and guidance piece, it's, it's really important we have qualified careers professionals um, doing that work. So it's very much for me about AI augmenting kind of what we do in that space and, and not replacing it. Definitely. Uh, you sort of you sort of touched on my next question, which was going to be, um, can AI ever replace a fully qualified um, career navigator, career coach, career guider. Um, before we get on to that, this show is brought yeah. to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Um, if you want to be a host on Teachers Talk Radio, do get in contact with us at ttradio.org forward slash contact. We do have some slots available, but we are frantically running out. It may be your half-term ambition to sign up, um, apply to be a host, and we'll give you your full technical induction and a two-show trial. If you want to join in the conversation tonight, then you can um, join some of the tweets that we've had paul foster has said my own highlight of careers advice in school was jig cow automated career spectral and answers to 40 questions i like drawing so it told me that i should be a fashion designer and janet replied that is why seeing a careers advisor is so important to help sift all the information and personalize the process and by the way those sorts of quizzes are only a starting point for the process um so yeah do get involved we've got more people tweeting and if you want to call in as well you're more than welcome to bottom left hand side of your screen um you have a wonderful um request to speak button please feel free to press that and we'd love to hear from you as well we've heard from janet and chris so far tonight um we've got some first time listeners tonight we've got um oliver jenkin very good evening to you and reese davis as well he's been here from the very start 
very good evening. We've also got some regular listeners as well. Who Here's a Paul, a very good evening to you. Anthony as well, good to see you in the space. Um, and Peter as well, who I believe is um, listening in from Colombia. So a very good evening as well. And of course, a very good day to all of our listeners listening on CapTrap on our website, ttradio.org forward slash listen back. Um, so we've mentioned some of these things. You've said that um, AI can't really um, put your career specialists, your human specialists out of a job because they can see um, the glint in somebody's eye. Um, but are they going to get close to um, taking career specialists out of their jobs? Or is it foregone conclusion? There's still, there's still going to be a really significant role for humans in this process. I think the opposite, actually. So I, I think it's going to potentially free up careers professionals to do more of the work that we're specialised to do. And I actually think there, there could be perhaps slightly longer term in schools, but certainly we're seeing in universities conversations around actually whether that could be true for teachers as well. So this idea of certainly one of the things that that's kind of coming through in conversations in higher education is, you know, whether the access to such a big body of domain knowledge will mean that effectively kind of professors and lecturers become more like coaches, which I know you, you kind of alluded to earlier, um, and facilitators rather than kind of teachers in perhaps a more sort of didactic sense. So I, I think that, you know, the same could potentially be true and, and could potentially go this way for careers professionals too, where actually, the you know, the access to more quality careers um, information on tap on a, on a very scalable level in terms of, you know, 24-7 access, chatbots, natural language, easy to use, good user experience, whether that then sort of frees up careers professionals to do more of what we are specialised in, which is delivery of careers guidance. Now, that is the dream scenario. Um, do I necessarily trust and have faith in policymakers to take us down that route? Not necessarily. But that is certainly the way that if the technology was used in an ideal way, that that would be what would happen. Uh, in my view. It's always good to be optimistic. And um, yeah. yeah, let's have faith. Um, Oliver's called in. Very good evening, Oliver. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. What would you like to add to the conversation tonight? Oh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I mean, it's been an absolutely um, fascinating debate. And I really, really appreciate the myth busting that Chris and Janet have been doing about the career development profession. Um, I think we are making progress. I'd agree with Janet there. But um, we really, really need to get back to a point where career development work is a, a valued, legit profession, um, you know, appreciated and um, remunerated to the same degree as teachers, higher education lecturers, social workers and other workers of that of that kind of stature and training. But I was going to say about um, AI, I think... Um, I think where I personally, speaking as a career development professional, would love AI to support my work is in the passing and crunching of labour market information so that I can then quickly and efficiently reach the kind of information that maybe my client uh, would find helpful. So which job uh, roles are on the increase, where the skills demands are um, to help inform their guidance process. Um, so that in a sense, I can take the raw labour market information and um, use my guidance skills and knowledge to translate it into um, usable labour market intelligence, if that makes sense. So that's just, that's just something I wanted to add there. Absolutely. Chris, do you want to reply to that? Yeah, um, nothing really to add. No, completely agree. And I, and I think, again, sort of comes back to that point about you know, augmenting what we're doing rather than replacing it. Um, you know, we, we're seeing some of this stuff already. So some kind of 
um, labor market sort of information tools are starting to bring in this, uh, you know, algorithms or kind of ways to sort of scrape data um, and be able to sort of present that kind of visually, make it much easier for sort of people to access. But I think, yeah, agree completely with what Oliver said there. It's it's about kind of using things that allow us to kind of get to the important bits that technology can't replicate, which is mm. that being able to kind of have those conversations to demonstrate sort of empathy, understanding, to use the kind of guidance and counseling skills that we have to help people explore how that information, how that data might impact on their own career decisions. And, and that's the, the craft that actually we have more time to do, you know, is ultimately probably a positive thing. Yes, I mean, any, anything you can give anybody in a very busy profession, um, the t- time to think deeper and um, think more creatively um, is certainly very much appreciated. Now, it is 8.55, so we are going to have to wrap up in a few minutes. But before we go, Chris, um, from your sort of expertise, any any other advice you can give a busy teacher, um, particularly in terms of Gatsby Benchmark 4, but also about use of AI in terms of careers as well? Yeah, I, I think two things, if that's OK. So one one kind of very practical, which is I would say, you know, do experiment with with the tools that are there, certainly the ones that are free. Uh, Bing, um, so on the kind of Microsoft Edge browser, is now kind of built in to that browser. It's got access to the Internet, um, GPT-4 model, so you can just click it on the top right-hand corner. It can do things like draft emails for you, um, you know, draft uh, sort of, you know, lesson plan schemes and work, those sort of things. Um, it can be used to kind of answer questions in natural human language. So you know, if you're wanting to experiment in things such as, you know, give me, I don't know, 10 ideas for a careers education session based around history, that can be a really good way just to kind of start testing out those tools and seeing what you get from an idea generation perspective. I'd say particularly if you haven't used them, there can be that sense of reticence about, you know, do I want to dip my toe into it? I I think it's really worth trying. Um, You might become addicted, but but actually the, the real kind of benefit is it's just worth you being aware of it, because obviously, as we've talked about already, students are going to be using it. It's important to understand that this type of technology is going to be kind of implemented in, in all sorts of industry and, and already that's happening. So so I think it's, you know, it's really important that we as kind of educators and careers professionals have a an understanding, even if it's only a baseline understanding of how these tools work and, and how they could be used to help us. But I think the again, you know, come back to some of the early points I've made that the main thing that I would say is it's if you're going to use AI, it's about thinking, you know, what gaps could it fill? that actually ultimately we couldn't fill as professionals. And just to give kind of one final example around the information piece. So I I was working with a student a few years ago who was um, interested or or said they were interested in becoming an architect. Now, if they'd kind of put that into a system like JAP-GPT, they would have got all of the information about what an architect does, um, you know, entry routes, what qualifications you need, what companies work in architecture, all those type of things. But actually what got them to the stage later on kind of in in that academic year was undertaking two work experience placements with a local construction firm and realizing that they thought architecture was actually really not for them Um, and kind of spending time with a a project manager who completely inspired them to basically want to go into construction project management coming back to the school talking with a guidance professional like myself reflecting on that experience thinking about where did that leave them and ultimately going down a slightly different post-16 path than they thought they would but one that they really felt was better for them very very difficult for ai to replicate something like that and the same is true for teaching you know it's a people profession so ai might be able to support with certain elements of it but there are going to be you know huge portions of your work that ai is not going to be able to take in, in in that fashion so so I think, yeah, it's just important to leave on that. And sorry, a bit of a bit of a soapbox, but I, I think it's really important to say as good as the technology is, there's lots of great ways to use it. But ultimately, 
it's about you know how how will it fit and where will it fit for your situation and remembering that you know as professionals we have an awful amount to offer way beyond what what AI can do thank you very much some really really good advice there and it is now 8 59 so it is time to wrap up thank you very much for joining us tonight on teachers talk radio massive thank you to janet and to chris who have provided us with so many pearls of wisdom um and a real insight into what it means to be a career um a career guide to provide careers guidance in terms of what it means um what careers education really is and what it isn't and yeah allowing teachers to understand um a really important profession and a really important vocation um, in a great deal more detail. And you thank you very much um, again to Janet and Chris. Thank you to all of our listeners in live. And if you're listening um, to Teachers Talk Radio on demand, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts or any other provider of your podcasts, then please do leave, take the time um, to drop us a review of hopefully five stars. Um, and yeah, thank you very much for listening. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'll be back in two weeks' time um, towards in the second week of my half-term holiday. I have no idea what we're going to be talking about then, but I'm sure we'll find something um, hopefully just as important and just as interesting to talk about as well. So thank you to Janet and thank you to Chris and a very good evening and not long now till half-term. See you later. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.